Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Christina Eanes, the 2023 Vice President of Marketing and Communications. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie Hubka, and I am the 2023 Vice President of Membership and Outreach, as well as a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD. We also have Helena Hodges, Vice President of Finance and Operations, as our producer. Now, for this episode, we are interviewing Brandon Carson. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you so far. So now before we jump into our topic of L&D's playbook for the digital age, can you share a little bit about your background with our listeners and viewers? Sure thing. I um, This is an accidental career for me, but it's been one that's been over 20 years. Uh, so I feel <laughs> privileged to be in an industry and in a career where I help build capability in others. Uh, so it's, it's been a fantastic career, although it was accidental. Uh, I'm a fifth generation printer, funny enough. Um, lots of my family members have uh, been printers and I was a typesetter back in the day and wow. uh, just moved into uh, computers when computers became a thing and then the internet became a thing. And then all of a sudden, because I lived in Silicon Valley, working around a lot of tech companies, we started, uh, you know, we started to like, let's look at the internet and figure out how we can bring learning online. So back in the day, mm -hmm. I helped create Intel's first e-learning program and implemented their first learning management system. So not to date myself, but it's been it's been a while. Um, but I didn't plan it, and it's just been a fantastic career. So I've spent a lot of uh, time in technology companies. Uh, then I moved into retail, did a stint at Delta Airlines for a while, where I led the global uh, tra the training team for the global airport operations, um, and then did some work at Walmart. And now I'm at Starbucks as their head of global learning. Oh, nice. So now you wrote this book, L&D Playbook for the Digital Age. I'm curious, what gap did you see that you wanted to fill with this book? Yes. So as a lifelong, almost through most of my adult, my adulthood, being involved in this profession, you know, we've had an interesting journey, if you will, in corporate training. And what I was talking about at the time, the original idea was the impact the digital age is having on the workplace and, of course, the workforce. Mm -hmm. And it's just been a time of exponential change, as we all know, and transformation. And yet, in a lot of situations, the way that learning organizations and HR organizations, to a certain extent, the way they are funded and organized has really been uh, a blocker in a lot of ways for us to be able to focus on the right things when it comes to both those transformative changes in the workplace and for the workforce. So the original idea of the book was let's start rethinking what, what it means to be learning and development in a corporate mm -hmm. setting. And let's start making sure that we have not only the capabilities to be able to address this exponential change that's going on, 
but also that we are structured in the right way and that we are, are placed in the right uh, areas of the organization or area of the organization that makes the most sense so that we can be more proactive than reactive. And so it started out as kind of that discussion, if you will, in the book and the idea of a playbook. And, and there was no thinking about this when COVID hit. So it was really all based on the digital age. And then COVID hit right when I and it was actually ATD that publishes my books. And right when ATD accepted the general thesis and idea of the book and wanted me to do it, COVID hit. And uh, so then I remember Justin, who was kind of my uh, guess, what would you call him? Like he, he was helping me set the, uh, you know, the, the thesis, if you will, for the go mm. forward of it, he called mm. and he's like, you need to talk about COVID in it. And I'm like, it's unfolding right now. So it became this sort of real time, <laughs> like what is COVID doing to impact all these other things as well? So it, mm. it, uh, and it was written during 20, uh, the end of 2020 and was published mm. in 2021. So we were kind of in the middle of, of all of this. And as we all know now, there was significant impact to the workplace brought a, a, about by the global pandemic. And so it was an interesting time uh, to really bring those two things together to, to really have a thought on well, what are playbooks for the future. And so the, the, the primary thesis is, you know, we can no longer really think about these longer term strategies. We have to really have a we have to really have a, sorry about all this language I'm using, but we really need to think about a more pliable and adaptable connection Absolutely. and correlation to the needs of the workforce and the workplace as we go forward. And so the idea is let's, let's construct these much more adaptable playbooks for how we want to address the common needs and the more strategic needs of the workplace and the workforce. I really love the idea of a playbook as well. Yeah. The idea, especially that a playbook might help a learning and development function or a talent development function become more strategic. I think one of the spots where oftentimes we see organizations fall down is when they don't tie their talent development into bigger strategies. They see it as an add-on or perhaps a layer on top of work that's already happening. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about how you either recommend organizations to use playbooks to help them to become more strategic, or maybe even how you've seen organizations use playbooks to help them as far as their strategies go. Yeah, no, I love, I love that uh, way of describing it. One of the things to think about, at least the way I like to look at it is, for example, I was at Delta Airlines during COVID when COVID hit and, you know, working at an airline during a global pandemic is quite an interesting challenge. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, <laughs> and I remember, yeah, for some reason, people don't want to travel together in a metal tube, you know, and breathe on each other. <laughs> During the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> but I, re I remember our CEO was talking to us at one point and he's like, look, we didn't have a playbook for a global pandemic. And maybe our government did, but many companies did not. And I can guarantee you that they're probably in February of 2020, there, there was probably zero number of CEOs who thought that in, within 30 days, their entire workforce minus the front line would be working at home while they're trying to figure out how to keep their frontline safe. Right. Yeah. And so not having these playbooks was, you know, a big deficit in some respects for business strategy. And then of course, HR and, and L and D 
we were looked at in a lot of ways as a key driver of business continuity during the pandemic. And that's why a lot of us are kind of as exhausted looking as we are, right? <laughs> um, but the focus has, has shifted a bit into this, this, uh, becoming less reactive and more proactive. And that's the idea of an, you know, an adaptable playbook where you have different scenarios for things that may go on. And a lot of the conversations we're having, which are ongoing, let's say, for instance, on return to office or on safety in the workplace and on how we, a lot of the discussion around skills, you know, and what we're doing with skills based hiring and these kinds of things are all, um, they correlate in a lot of ways to multi-pronged strategies that are necessary uh, to be able to execute, especially at scale. But they also have these short-term kind of components that are necessary in some ways to put into place so that you can get to where you want to go. And they might be, I remember one of the senior leaders uh, that I was talking to in, in one of the businesses uh, when I was presenting, um, he said, you know, we really look at six months now from a strategic standpoint, not three years. Mm. And so yeah. <laughs> I'm, things have sped up. Business mm. is speeding up. Customers are now expecting different uh, ways of interacting with companies and employees are expecting different ways of interacting with companies they work for. And all of these things are conflating together. Um, to really bring a lot of the need for more real-time and adaptable, um, interoperable in some ways, um, you know, ways of working, if you will, and ways of coming up with strategies uh, for how we go forward with this and how we build the capabilities we need to keep our businesses with their competitive advantages. So I was talking recently to Kimo Kippen, a former CLO and a, and a colleague of mine, and he talked about in this day and age, HR and L&D, really talent development in general, being the key driver of transformation across the enterprise. And that's primarily because, yes, we are focused on the people and the people practice, but we are also, we are also in a situation where we are we are responsible for connecting the disparate systems and processes and policies and all of the advancements we're making with how the business is, you know, thinking about their competitive advantages and, and how they conduct their business. We are bringing all of those things together to make sure that the employee experience and the customer experience are the best they can be. And you, you often think of, the tech group or the marketing group or other groups that are really the drivers of transformation. When in reality, there's a lot of accountability and responsibility on the talent development practice nowadays, mm. especially after COVID and in the digital age with so much exponential change going on for us to really be that center of transformation, if you will, for the mm. business. And so what a lot of us are coming to grips with is the simple fact that the talent development practice is reinventing itself. And we, we're not pausing to go, okay, let's recalibrate. Uh, we're doing that almost like the old metaphor of, you know, building the plane while it's flying. <laughs> when we're doing that because we're having to recalibrate how we attract talent, how we retain them, how we advance yeah. them. And then how we are redesigning the job architectures, you know, so that people can 
you know, have a, a meaningful career because the expectations that people have from what they get from their work has fundamentally changed just in the last few years. Yeah. So, and we all understand that the foundation of what drives our business is the people. And so that's, that's one of the key tenets of what's happening right now in our practice as we're reinventing it. And one of the things I've talked about is, you know, I've recently said the next five years will be more transformational for talent development in our industry than the last 50, primarily because of we, we're really the ones on center stage responsible for making sure that the companies that we work for have the talent and capability needed yeah. and that we, we can make sure business continuity and, you know, the way businesses want to operate will operate. And so we need to reconstruct our infrastructure. And that's kind of one of the key theses of the book is we need to rethink how we do what we do. And we also need to be, I think you said it a little bit earlier, Stephanie, we need to be much more involved in the business strategy itself mm. so that we, you know, we don't want to overlay the learning strategy on top of the business strategy. The learning strategy is the business strategy. And so how do we get That's in those right. conversations? Lots of us are, I'm seeing so many great things happening, but how do we get in that conversation more and how do we have heads of learning and learning organizations and CHROs? that are sitting right there with all the folks making the decisions mm. about the, you know, the way forward for companies, because, you know, the, the foundational force driving business is their people. Yeah. I love it's that. It's an exciting place to be. Yeah. Really. I mean, it's also, it's a frustrating place to be in some organizations, which I think we realize. There are a lot of organizations out there that are embracing the role of, say, the CLO or someone who gets that proverbial seat at the table, the one that L&D is always asking for and talking about and occasionally getting. We want to see a lot more of that. And that's why I'd love to hear a little bit from you as far as where organizations might get started as far as <laughs> pulling together the elements of a playbook. I'd imagine we've got a lot of people joining us today who are thinking, yes, I nod vigorously every time I hear someone say we absolutely need to do this, but how would we get started? So for an organization who's recognizing that they'd like to be incorporating their strategy more, they recognize that they need to be able to embrace the digital age in a different way or be more prepared. And we've learned something from the pandemic. Where do you often see organizations get started? Or do you have recommendations on the conversations even that organizations may want to start having as they get ready? One of the, you know, catalysts for, for what we need from a capability stand, standpoint. And one of the things I talk about in the book is not only rethinking the organizational structure and the capabilities of the talent practice, but connecting obviously directly with the business strategy and the decisions that are being made. If you think about every CEO on earth right now is already significantly investing more in technology, especially AI technology, as you could guess. And it's incumbent upon the talent development leader or leaders to make sure that in that conversation, 
this investment is going to be able to be utilized and that these strategies can be executed on based on the capabilities of the employee, the, you know, the workforce that the company has. And so we teeter sometimes on the precipice of chaos if too much change is coming forward to a workforce that has challenges executing on it. Yet on the other side of it, if we don't build the capability and the skills needed to implement these new strategies, then companies may lose their competitive advantage. And we see that throughout time. It's not like implementing technology is new. We've been doing this for hundreds of years as technology changes. It's just, we are radically and more exponentially making changes that are really foundational to how work gets done. And so it's to start this conversation is to really, what I say is to do two foundational things that are maybe seem a bit challenging at first, but you really have to think about, you know, how you get to here from there, right? For example, or how you get from here to there. That's what I'm really trying to say. But one of the things you have to think about is, yeah. How do companies perceive, how do the company that you work at, how do you perceive labor? And part of the fundamental conversation that's going on underneath this return to office or ways of working or all of these fancy terms we can give whatever the companies and the employees want, the discussion is how do we come to a, uh, how do we come to a good understanding that meets both needs, the company's need, the employee's need, all that. The challenge, the fundamental challenge is we need to stop looking at labor as a cost burden. And for the last 60 years, companies have seen labor as a cost burden. I was at a con, I'll keep, I'll keep names of anonymous for this, but I was at a conference with some business leaders. It was not an L and D conference. It was just a general business conference where a CLO and a former CLO of a financial company were talking about labor. This was during COVID too, labor and the challenges with attracting talent, retaining talent. And one, one CEO, it was CEOs. I'm sorry. One CEO said, the minute you raise an hourly wage, it's never going to go down again. Mm. And so his challenge was try to figure out how not to do Mm. that. And my first thought was, well, fundamentally, we have to rethink what labor means for the organization. And um, so once we stop thinking of labor as a cost burden and more labor as an asset, that'll help us fundamentally rethink some of the systemic constraints that are in place. The other thing to really think about is job architectures. And what does it really mean to have these these roles, if you will, created within the, the company that have certain conditions and policies and requirements for someone to be able to do the job. And a lot of this conversation is emanating around equitable hiring and equitable opportunity. And then we've evolved that into the skills-based conversation that we've been having the last couple of years. So those are two fundamentals that we need to get right and we need to rethink. And once we are, I, I get it, those are big conversations and not conversations that a 
talent development person can necessarily alone make a decision on. But these are going back to that colleague of mine at Delta, that leader that told me it's time to be bold and it's time for courage. Mm. You know, this is the time now for us to co-create the future and what it means to have a job, what a job means, what employment means. Those are the fundamental questions being asked of employees and of companies, right? And we, you know, we need to find out what these barriers are and we need to break those barriers down. So there are some fundamentals, but then there are some other things for us to think about in talent development itself. Like how are we structured? How are we organized? Are we organized in the manner that best fits the needs of the business and the needs of the workforce? You know, these are fundamental questions. These are questions we aren't new to us. But what is the catalyst for change when it yeah. comes to are you too siloed away? Is the talent development practice too compartmentalized and not integrated enough, not adaptable enough? You know, in so many organizations, I, I've been in L&D, but I haven't really had conversations at all with like talent acquisition, for example, or even talent management to some degrees. So we need to look at the life cycle of the talent overall and figure out how we integrate these things. Those are more in our domain. And so in our domain, we can start fundamentally looking at how we're structured and what our capabilities are and how we look across and how we organize ourselves to make sure that we are much more proactive and much more connected with each other so that we can co-create that way forward that we need we need desperately to be doing. One of the, you know, I was on this panel at a conference last year that had generational differences, you know, and, and I've been in the practice, like I said, 20 plus years. And there were some newer entrants into the uh, practice. And one of the things that makes me feel really positive about the future of talent development is hearing from these you know, from the new generation of HR and learning leaders where their entire lexicon is different in some respects. One person introduced mm-hmm. himself and what he talked about was joy, happiness, fulfillment, and meaning mm-hmm. from work. Whereas yeah, I had I talked it. about build capability and career mobility, you know, those kinds mm-hmm. of things, right? And <laughs> so it makes me feel like in our practice, as I said earlier, we're redefining what the people practice really is we're also connecting more to what people value and what companies value and candidly what our customers value. So I have a lot of, you know, positive feelings about the future of this practice. I think we are, a lot of people talk doom and gloom about L and D like we're not, you know, we're not focused enough. We're not uh, getting our seat at the table. I mean, candidly during COVID we got our seat at the table. I mean, it was, Mm-hmm. The chairs were yeah. pulled out for us and we had heightened and yeah, yeah <laughs> heightened visibility and accountability, like I said earlier, to drive business continuity, you know, and all yeah. sorts of questions were asked of us from the CEOs and leaders of companies about what to do. And so I don't think we have to necessarily claw our way to the table anymore. We're there, but are we being bold and courageous enough? And do we have the curiosity to really bring forward you know, what it means to develop people in this day and age and, and to empower people mm, yeah. to interrogate the structure of the organization and, uh, and understanding that no one comes here to work 
to specialize in navigating bureaucracy. That's not what we want to do. Yep. And yep. why aren't you really right. focused on crafting the employee experience that unlocks that creativity, innovation, and capability, candidly, that is going to be the unified language of the future for if your company succeeds or not, right? And so I think this, I hate to say it, like I said, the next five years is more transformational than the last 50 for our practice because we have to get this right. Yeah. And so that's my call to action yeah. in the book primarily is let's just rethink, let's recalibrate, and let's figure out how we really do work across the enterprise to co-create the future of work for our employees and our customers. That's so true. Awesome. So speaking of your book, can you share like a 60 second, 30 second commercial <laughs> on uh, how people can learn more? Because we know they're going to want to oh, learn yeah. more. Well, it's interesting. At my website, brandonwcarson.com, I have a discussion guide for the book. I have some information about the book. I have a list of the contributors. The best thing about the book are the contributors, not me necessarily. Lots of folks mm -hmm. from huh. different areas of, of the talent practice have come together to talk about what it means to have a playbook for the future, especially in this day and age. And of course, it's an ATD book. You can get it in ebook format um, on uh, Amazon or you know from ATD's website. Um, and it follows up my first book, which really talked more about the technologies the that are the forces really driving the digital age. And then this one gets more pragmatic and practical about this is what we need to do in some respect. And of course, I engage in lots of conversation awesome. on LinkedIn about it. So everyone's welcome to come and connect with me on LinkedIn so we can have conversations about, you know, what's going on in our practice on a day to day. I'm there every day doing something. So <laughs> nice. I think you're about to make some new friends. And I think Chris and I will be <laughs> among those new friends. So that's, that is fantastic. <laughs> We have asked you a lot of questions and we're not quite done yet. So at the end of each one of our episodes, we like to end with a few what we call rapid fire style questions. Each question should take no more than about 60 seconds or so to answer. So what do you think? Three more questions ready for some rapid fire? So our first question for you today, give us one book that everyone must read and why. So I'll throw out Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's book on the mm. flow theory. He was a psychologist who created this, um, what he calls the flow state, which is when we're in a flow state, we're in an optimal, non-distractable sort of immersive state where we are the most happy. And game designers use the flow state. Learning people use the flow state. It's really a transformative book. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi on the flow state. The flow I love think it. That's a great choice. I yes. I might need to reread that one. It's been a minute. I but I, I highly it's recommend been a minute for too. me too, right? <laughs> highly recommend it. Second question for you: What is one tool that you can't live without? So I would say uh, anything right now around generative AI. The tools mm. that are coming forward are amazingly uh, transformative for us. I watched a startup company that has an authoring tool, create a Python, use their generative AI tool, create a Python course in just a few minutes and it had a full, wow. it had a full, um, you know, module list, learning objectives, assessments, final knowledge check, final test, and then the content itself. Right. So yeah, 
yes, it needed, it would need to be modified, but it really gives you a jump start on a lot of things that, you know, we tend to spend a lot of time on. So I think yeah. leveraging generative AI right now is going to be a plus for any learning organization. I have to say, I agree. I think we are definitely headed there and done well, done, you know, with a, a decent wrapper around it. I think there are a lot of strides to be made. That's a great one, too. Last question for you today. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? A good question. Uh, that could take longer to answer, but I'll do, <laughs> I'll do this quickly. There was, I was in a, a situation once where I was going to be doing some consulting for a company from a learning standpoint. And my boss at the time, after the meeting said, here's a piece of advice I'll give you. Don't necessarily go into the room thinking you have all the answers mm -hmm. until you go into yeah. the room and actively listen and deeply understand the problem. And then you can help come to the right solution. And so sometimes we get in our heads before we know really what the depth and breadth of the problem is, what the solution should be. So that has stuck with me over 15 years now is really good advice. Mm. I love that. I, yeah, I think everyone can advice. use that advice, honestly. Yes. Yes. That's great. <laughs> in all areas of life. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Oh, Brandon, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you much. Oh, and of course, we want to thank our community for listening and watching. And before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Whether you are a member of our chapter or not, we have resources for you. Go to dcatd.org and choose the chapter bulletin board to read our blog, access the member spotlight, and learn more about how TD professionals spend their time. Love this episode? Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and provide a review.